Well, you thought he was dead. April Fool's. He ain't. I know that's a total dad joke, but I had to do it. I'm a dad now, so I've embraced dad jokes. I actually love them. I thought that was a great joke. You're like, wow, goodness gracious. I've been waiting for weeks to say that. I'm going to be honest. Easter is a really interesting holiday, right? It doesn't have the fanfare of Christmas or Thanksgiving or Halloween or even Valentine's Day. It kind of almost sneaks up on us. You're like, oh, wait, Easter is this Sunday? Wow, how'd that happen? Most of us here know when St. Patty's Day or Cinco de Mayo is, right? We, we, we're planning. We know what we're going to do. We know who we're going to hang out with. Cinco de Mayo helps because it's in the name, you know? But the other ones, like, we're planning. We know what we're going to do for the holidays. But Easter, it can sneak up on you. It's interesting in that way. It's also a confusing holiday because Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we should hide eggs in our backyard. You're like, wait, what? And we should also have a really huge oversized bunny who, like, delivers the eggs in the middle of the night. Like, wait, how, what does this have anything to do with Jesus? Like, if you want a nightmare, imagine this. Here's what I'm going to give you. Sorry, here's what's going to happen tonight. I want you to imagine waking up in the middle of the night with a large oversized mythical bunny sitting at the foot of your bed. It's terrifying. Like, why? It's supposed to be a day of hope and joy, and yet the bunny's eyes are always wide open. The mouth is only a little bit open. If you notice, it's like... It's like it's a terrifying thing. Today's supposed to be a day of joy and hope. Maybe you love the oversized mythical bunny. You're all for it. But you're like, how Easter eggs, bunny, scary? Like, what's happening here? I mean, they're fun, right? The candy and the eggs and the bunny and all the festivities, they're fun. But it's so easy to miss the heart of Easter, to miss why we're actually celebrating the holiday, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think the reason that is, it because believing that Jesus was God in the flesh who died on a cross for your sin and your shame and your guilt and paid the penalty that you deserve because of your sin, was buried in the grave and then came back from the dead, kind of feels like believing in a large mythical bunny who hides Easter eggs in the back of your house on Easter. It's really difficult to believe. It's a hard thing to believe, and yet it is foundational to the Christian faith. It may be the hardest thing to believe in the Christian faith. And in fact, I think it is. You're like, Carter, there's a lot of miracles, especially in the Old Testament, that are way out there. I understand there's a lot of miracles that may be difficult to believe, but I think believing that God became a person in Jesus Christ and died for your sins to reconcile you back to God and then came back from the dead is probably the hardest thing to believe in the entire Bible, and yet it's the most important. Because people do not come back from the dead. It just doesn't happen. The Apostle Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, he, he speaks about the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. He says that if Jesus did not come back from the dead, and you claim to be a Christian, and you have faith in any aspect of the Bible, and you're a follower of Jesus then your faith is useless. And actually, not only is your faith useless, you are to be pitied beyond anyone else in the world because you're believing something that is a complete lie. Maybe some good teachings that, that help your life, but you're believing something that is a lie. And so if Jesus did not rise, if Easter is not true, 
then every single person that claims to be a follower of Christ and to trust in Jesus as their Messiah, they feel like they have been reconnected with God, that they will be with God in eternity, their sins are forgiven, their guilt has been done away, then it's useless if he didn't come back and you're to be pitied. And I know, I know, I know, a lot of you here struggle with this claim. You've been going to church for a while, your Facebook status is Christian, and yet this is hard, right? The resurrection of Jesus is not an easy thing to believe. And a lot of you here flat out reject it. You're like, yeah, people don't come back from the dead. I get it because I've been there and I've walked through that. I've been on that journey. I remember when I was kind of going through the process and I was on the journey of becoming a Christian and I was interacting with different Christians and they would share with me some arguments. They said, Carter, there's a lot of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm like, yeah, come on, <laughs> not evidence. They begin to lay out some arguments. I'm going to say some different things, and it got me to think. You know, one of the things they, they share with me is that you know, the body was never found. I was like, okay, well, the, the body was never found. Why does that matter? Well, you've got to remember what happened in Jesus' time. We know Jesus is a historical figure. We know that Jesus was crucified, and he was killed under Pontius Pilate. We know these things. This is historically proven. The reason he was killed, right, is because he was revolutionary. He was a threat to the Jewish leaders and then also to the Roman government. The Roman government does not want any uprising, and the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus because he was claiming to be the Messiah, God in the flesh. They're like, we need to do away with this guy. So imagine yourself in that scenario. I mean, they, they kill Jesus, they put him in the grave, they're guarding the tomb. You would think that if all these Christians start to claim that Jesus is back from the dead, like a really quick solution would be like, um, no, he's like right here. Christianity's dead and no movement, we're never here. But then it's like, okay, well, yeah, the body was never found, but the disciples probably stole the body, right? Like, they were invested, Carter. They were really invested. They spent three years with this guy. Like, they gave up their jobs. They followed him around. They really believed that he was the Messiah, and he was killed, which they didn't see coming. So they didn't want to lose the movement. They wanted to keep it going. So they stole the body, and they hit it, or they destroyed it. They did something because they wanted the movement to continue, there's a few things that are interesting about that. One is, it would be really interesting and really confusing for the disciples to steal the body and then write about it. In the book of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew says that a lot of people are claiming that they stole the body. Right? If you're starting a movement and you steal the body of Jesus and you hide it or you destroy it, and you're writing this manifesto to launch this movement so that people will believe that Jesus was the Messiah and he died on the cross and then he rose from the dead... Why would you even write anything about people are claiming that you stole a body to put a seed of doubt in people's minds? It doesn't make a lot of sense. The other thing that is really interesting is that all of the disciples, except for one who was exiled, he didn't get much better, but all of them were brutally murdered and tortured for their faith in a risen Savior. None of them recanted. None of them changed their story. They all died brutally. And, and typically when we hear this, you think to yourself, yeah, okay, but people die for lies all the time. Like, people die for lies all the time. They do, you're right. But the difference is, people don't die for lies when they know it's a lie, right? People will die for a lie because they've either had a mental break and they think that aliens are coming and they're going to take them to the mothership and to another universe and then they're going to have their own planet and they're going to spend time with the aliens and they may die for that, but they believe it's true. They really believe it's true. People may get kind of emotionally captivated and fall under the spell of a cult leader or people that are sharing different kind of thoughts, 
and they may die for it. It's happened. They'll drink the poison. They'll do what's necessary. But they believe it's true. People of other faiths will die, but they believe it's true. See, what it does not happen is at least, you know, 11 people going out and many, many more after that that are dying for something that they know is a lie. Because if the disciples stole the body and they did not meet the resurrected Savior, they hid it, they destroyed it, whatever happened, they would have all died. I mean, brutally murdered, tortured, crucified, hung upside down. They would have all died for something they knew was a lie. That's hard to believe. That's really hard to believe. Well, okay, fine. They really believed it was true. So probably what happened was they hallucinated, right? They, like, they really wanted Jesus to come back from the dead. They didn't want the movement to end. And so they hallucinated. And they saw Jesus. Maybe it was like a spiritual resurrection or something like that. And so they believed it was true. But, I mean, people don't come back from the dead. Well, See, there's problems with that as well. Because the disciples all claim that Jesus was physically resurrected. They said that they put their hands in the holes in his hands, that they ate with him, that they spent time with him, 40 days, in fact. So they claim that, and that wouldn't be consistent. And we know that they're not lunatics. I mean, we just read their writings. They're, they're brilliant. It's profound when you read the New Testament. So maybe the last explanation is, you know, if this is, we're 2,000 years late here, Right? So probably what happened was something was going on and this movement got going and then the Bible that we have now has just been changed a bunch of times and they included the miraculous stuff later. But like probably didn't happen then, but it just got included over time. There's a a scholar, his name is Bart Erdman. He's the leading biblical scholar in the world. He's an atheist as well. And he says that the book of 1 Corinthians, the one I told you about, where Paul speaks about the resurrected, physical resurrected Savior Jesus, he says that that book can accurately be traced to within one to two years of Jesus' death and resurrection, about 35 AD. And the overwhelming opinion in the scholastic community is that 1 Corinthians was written about 35 AD, two years, one to two years after Jesus was killed. And the 1 Corinthians that they're tracing back to 35 AD is the same exact 1 Corinthians that we have now. Hasn't been changed. Maybe there's like a the here, not a the there, but it's the same book. You see, there's a lot of great evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Christians aren't unintelligent. Christians aren't people that are weak and they need some hope, so they're going to believe in something that feels like an Easter bunny hiding eggs in your backyard. But... Evidence is not what moves someone to faith. There's really good evidence. I think if you really take time and look at it, you will see that. But you don't come to faith in Jesus Christ. You don't come and gather here to worship. You don't really experience and know the connection, the intimacy with God through faith because you read some evidence and you thought to yourself, it's pretty logical. It's pretty reasonable. It's not the only thing. There's another aspect of faith that is really important. It's very in- intensely personal. Here's what uh, the book of Hebrews, how they define, the book of Hebrews defines faith. And I love this definition. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You see, God may use reasonable arguments and, and evidence 
to move you to the place where you, you have a conviction of things that you don't see. We, we're not around 33 AD. We're not there. And so there may be evidence and arguments that help give you that conviction of things not seen. But the other aspect of faith that is so important and is intensely personal is that there is a assurance of things hoped for. Meaning, there is a filling, a, a fulfillment, a completion, a satisfaction of the deepest desires and longings of your heart when you're reconnected with God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Easter celebrates. Easter isn't just simply a celebration that there's reasonable and good evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Easter is a celebration that peace is available. See, the word peace in the Old Testament is the word shalom. And it's much more rich and deep and full than our definition of peace. Our definition of peace typically is either the absence of conflict, right? Maybe you and a friend that often get in fights, you're at peace because there's no conflict, or countries are at peace because there's no conflict. Or we use peace to kind of refer to a calmness and a stability of mind, right? You have peace of mind. So you're not struggling with anxiety and stress in the moment. You have peace of mind. Typically, these are two ways that we use peace, but this is not the biblical definition of peace, and this is not what Jesus is speaking about or what the resurrection declares. The peace here, shalom, means fulfillment, completion, wholeness, flourishing, satisfaction. It is a much deeper and richer understanding. It is like peace of your soul. It is satisfaction and fulfillment and flourishing of the deepest hopes that you have. Another way of saying to have peace is to say to, to be truly and wholly and completely blessed. Peace and blessing go hand in hand. And the past seven weeks, we've been traveling through this sermon series called Kingdom Culture. And we've been looking at uh, the blessings of Jesus. He has this very famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, starting in chapter 5. And the very beginning of the sermon is called the Beatitudes. And Jesus shares these blessings. And the one that we're on tonight, which is the seventh blessing, says this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. And what's interesting here, as I said, is that the word blessing and the word peace kind of go hand in hand. They're, they're very similar words. So what Jesus is saying here is blessing or fulfillment and flourishing and satisfaction is found when you are a peacemaker, when you are looking to make fulfillment and flourishing and blessing for others. These are the people that are sons and daughters of God. See, when you read it on the surface, it can be a little confusing. Here's why. Here's what you can think to yourself. You can think, okay, sounds pretty straightforward. I need to strive to be a peacemaker. I need to care about others. I need to be concerned about the fulfillment in other people's lives and not just be focused on myself. I need to care about other people's flourishing. I need to look to, to bless others. And when I do that, then I will be considered and called and assured that I'm a son and daughter of God. It kind of seems like what's being said here by Jesus is, listen, if you want to be called a son and daughter of God, it's pretty simple. Just have good behavior. Just strive to be a peacemaker. Just like be a little bit more religious. Be a good person. If you strive to be a good person and care about other people, then you are called a son and daughter of God. But that is not what Jesus is saying at all. 
It's not what he's saying. Now, he is saying that, listen, when you look to bring blessing and fulfillment and flourishing in other people's lives, you're going to experience blessing and flourishing and fulfillment in your own life. Every single one of us in this room knows this. If you've ever helped someone, if you've ever looked to, to support and encourage uh, flourishing in another person, if you've ever brought fulfillment into somebody else's life, you know that in the moment it feels amazing, right? It feels awesome, it feels great. You feel fulfillment. You feel blessing. But the blessing that Jesus is speaking about here is not a momentary experience. It's not something that you do or you strive to do to give you good feelings, to make you feel better, to enable you to use hashtag bless more on your Instagram, right? It's not what he's saying. Sometimes we can read it like that. We can read it like, okay, just, I'm just going to try to be a peacemaker, and then I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be a son and daughter of God, and everything's going to be good. So, got it. This week, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to be better. Once I be better, then I'll be blessed and fulfilled and, and satisfied and, and all of these things. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He's actually saying the reverse when you read it in the original language. He is saying, sons and daughters of God, you are blessed. Not with momentary fulfillment, not with fleeting joy and flourishing that lasts for a second until something comes along and then destroys that and you have to start all over. He is saying that if you are son and daughter of God, you are blessed with lasting, eternal peace. And that the way to that, as we see all throughout the rest of Scripture, as we celebrate on Easter, is through faith. It's not by being more religious. It's not by striving to be a better person. It's not by working really hard at being a peacemaker. Those things may be good in and of themselves, but they're not going to assure your status as a son and daughter of God. They're not going to bring lasting, eternal peace and flourishing and fulfillment and blessing. It, it just won't. Momentary, maybe. So on Easter, we celebrate that peace is available by faith in a risen Savior. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, like, how exactly does that work? Like that, first off, it sounds way too good to be true. Like, faith in Jesus brings me lasting, eternal peace and fulfillment and flourishing and blessing. Like, how does that all happen? The book of Ephesians in, in the New Testament, Paul says this, and I love this verse. He says, Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We just sang a song called Reckless Love, and the bridge in the song talks about the lengths that God will go to, to display and to pour out his love upon his people, his sons and daughters. There's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no wall he won't kick down. And what we celebrate on Easter is that Jesus Christ, who is our peace, destroyed the wall between us and God. Because the reality is, when we take a, a look at yourself, you realize that you're not perfect. Like, it doesn't take but a second to think and to recognize that you're not perfect. You're imperfect. All of us in the room are broken. We're flawed. We have things that we struggle with. We have vices. We have addictions. We all have different things. And we are imperfect, and yet God, if there is a God, right, he is perfect and good. And we know that imperfect and perfect things don't mix. We don't mix them in real life, and they certainly don't mix in regards to God and his people. 
And so what we celebrate here, as we've been celebrating through Holy Week, is that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, tore down the wall by dying on the cross for our sin and our shame and our guilt, our imperfection. And then he came forth victorious from the grave. Yes, people don't come back from the dead, but Jesus did. Why? Because he is God. And it declares to us that peace is available, that that union with God. There can be assurance of what your heart hopes for more than anything. Every human heart in this room desires to to be reconciled to God, to know God, to be loved by God, to be reconciled to your maker. It's why we're searching. It's why we ask questions, why we doubt in the first place. Because it's at the base of who we are that we ask these questions and Easter is a celebration that our peace is found in Jesus, that he is our fulfillment, he is our blessing, he is the source of our flourishing. And you think to yourself again, like, okay, how? Like, faith in Jesus brings peace and all of these things, but I still don't really understand how. Well, because the deepest desire of your heart, the assurance of the hopes that you have, this is the intensely personal part of faith. You recognize and you experience in a way that you sometimes can't even verbalize that you've been reconciled with God. And there is peace there. There is fulfillment and blessing and flourishing. And you recognize in that moment as that happens in your life that it changes you. You're different. You're a different person. You're no longer only concerned with yourself. Now you're concerned about others. You're no longer thinking that you can earn your way to God by doing good things. You recognize that you've just been simply loved by God, and the response of your heart is simply faith. And you see God working in your life, and everything changes. Everything is different. You begin to recognize that, hey, being a peacemaker is going to bring blessing and fulfillment. And some of these things that we hold on to and cling on to begin to fall away. But we have to be honest, right? If you're a Christian in the room and you've been on this journey, you know this is very true, which is, it's not like you become a Christian and snap your fingers. You're like, I am full of peace. Look at me. I'm fulfilled. I'm flourishing. I'm I'm the living embodiment of the life is good shirt. You know, everything is awesome. That's fake. Life is a struggle for everyone. It's a struggle of anxiety and fear and broken expectations and conflicted desires and failures. And you begin to get invested in something and then it falls apart and you don't want to restart it, but you got to restart it. Life is a struggle. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you experience Jesus as your peace and you have a conviction of things not seen and assurance of things hoped for, it doesn't make the light switch just kind of go on and now you're just like smiling all the time no matter what happens. But the journey of life is very different. It's very different. Because you recognize now that you're not walking life alone. You've been reconnected with the God who made you. He's walking alongside of you. And the way that you see everything in life has changed because you have eyes of faith. You can see clearly now that these things that Jesus lists here in Matthew 5 are in fact blessings that will bring fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. You read it and you say, blessed are the peacemakers. And you're like, yes. Blessing and fulfillment and satisfaction does come when I look to make peace in the lives of others. It's not just about making my own peace, but I need to be concerned about others. 
These are the people that are called sons and daughters of God. And so the reason we celebrate with joy and excitement on Easter is because we celebrate not that everything is done away and now we're perfect and our lives are just amazing, but we celebrate that at the, at the root of us, by faith, there is an assurance of things hoped for. There is peace and satisfaction and fulfillment because we're not walking life alone and we can see things differently now. That's why we celebrate. But what's interesting is that when you read the account of the Easter day, it wasn't a day of celebration at first. It was actually like a really dark day. It was a day of mourning. What happens is Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and she's weeping. She's mourning because Jesus is dead. And Jesus isn't only her friend that has died, but Jesus is kind of the embodiment of her hopes dying too. So she comes to the grave to mourn. And when she gets to the grave, the stone is gone. And, and she's horrified. And so she looks in, and Jesus is gone. The body is missing. So she runs to the disciples who are hiding. The disciples have been hiding for days because they were associated with Jesus, and they don't want the Jewish leaders to find them because they're afraid that they're going to be killed too, which is interesting that they were all eventually killed because something changed. But right now they're hiding because they don't want to be killed. They're trying to save their own skin. And so Mary Magdalene comes and she says, listen, hey, um, tomb's empty. Jesus is gone. So Peter and John run to the tomb to go check it out and investigate it. And they see the stone has been rolled away. They look inside and Jesus is gone. And it says that they believed. But this belief is the very beginning of belief. Because they run back and hide again. And Mary remains at the tomb. And she's weeping and she's crying. And somebody says to her, why are you crying? And Mary assumes the person talking to her is a gardener. And she says, because someone has taken my Lord and I don't know where he is. If you know where he is, please tell me. See, she believes that someone stole the body. Like someone has stolen the body of Jesus, my Lord, and, and I want to be able to, to mourn and to take care and to properly bury him. And then in that moment, the person that Mary Magdalene assumes is the gardener says Mary. And she turns her head and she sees that she's actually talking to Jesus, risen. And she says, teacher. The very first person to see the risen Christ is Mary Magdalene. What an honor. She comes to faith in that moment as Jesus says her name and then the disciples later that evening, they're still hiding and they're locked up in this house. And here's what it says in the book of John. You can see it on the screen behind me. It says that that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. But suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The very first words that Jesus utters to his disciples as they're hiding in fear is peace be with you, shalom be with you, fulfillment be with you, satisfaction and blessing and flourishing be with you. And they're like freaking out, right? Like, whoa, what is going on here? And they immediately do what we would all do, which is they run over to Jesus and they grab his hands because they're like, are we hallucinating? 
Like something's going on here. Is this like, we, it was like a mass hysteria. So they grab his hands and they put their fingers in his hands and in his side. And it says that they were filled with joy. And he says to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. And you're like, sending you to do what? What is Jesus saying when he says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you? He is saying that now through faith, because in this moment, as they're filled with joys, they're filled with peace, they've come to faith in the risen Savior, not just a conviction of things not seen, though they had the privilege of seeing him, but an assurance of the desires of their hopes and desires. That they are now to live a life, to journey life according to a different kingdom. They have new vision. They see things differently and they live life differently. And one of the values that they're going to begin to live out all of them, is blessed are the peacemakers. Their lives are going to become about making peace for others. All of them, as they're hiding to save their own skin behind locked doors, now in this moment, they're going to be forever changed. And one of the very things that they're going to be living out is caring about peace and flourishing and blessing in others. And they'll give their lives for it. For them, for these people shall be called sons and daughters of God. Now, the word called is an interesting word in the Bible because the word called means owned. So really what Jesus is saying is for you shall be owned as a son and daughter of God. You're like, that sounds real weird. But it signifies permanence. See, what Jesus is saying here and what we celebrate on Easter through faith is that we are owned as sons and daughters of God, meaning our status is fixed. We can't mess it up. We didn't deserve it in the first place. There's nothing that we can do that is going to mess up or destroy our status and our relationship with God because the dividing wall has been broken down. And so Jesus looks at us with our new identity and he says, peace be with you. Not like hopefully peace is with you, like good luck, but peace be with you because Jesus is with you through faith. There can be peace at all times times and so we can get out behind our locked doors and stop caring about just ourselves and we can begin to take the scary step at times of caring about others and looking to make peace for others and looking to bring flourishing for others and looking to bring fulfillment for others looking to bless others because peace is with us it doesn't matter what happens it doesn't mean we won't have anxiety and fear and, and we won't struggle but peace is always with us through faith There's a a story that I've heard about a painting, and I I don't know who to give credit to because I don't remember who said it, but it goes like this. Imagine you receive an invaluable painting, large painting, one of a kind, very famous painter paints this painting, the only one, can't even put a price tag on it. So you get it and you, you package it up and you take it very carefully to your condo and you open the door. You're like, this shouldn't go in a condo, it should go in a mansion, but it's okay, I got a condo. And you get inside and you get into the room and you look around and you're like, all the wall space is taken. Do you think to yourself, you know what? All the wall space is taken, so I'm just gonna throw the painting off the balcony. Like, no, that would, that would not be a good idea. This is an invaluable painting. What you would do is you take everything off the wall, right? You'd figure out where is the place of prominence. When people walk in, I want them to see this painting. You would take the painting, you would put it on the wall, and then you would take everything else that is valuable to you and you would put it up around the painting. You see, this is what we celebrate on Easter. 
Faith in Jesus Christ that has brought peace is an invaluable thing. It's not just one thing of many other things in our lives. It's not something where you walk in and you're like, well, I already got a lot of good stuff in my life, so I guess I'll just like put it in the closet or I'll throw it off the balcony. When you find faith in Christ and you see that it is invaluable and what it does and brings and changes in you, you take down everything else off the wall. You don't throw it away, but you put this in the place of prominence and then you build everything else around it. And you may be thinking to yourself right now, that's great, but the resurrection thing, I just, (laughs) I don't see that. We're not alone. Thomas felt the same way. Thomas wasn't there, his name, he, he's forever known as Doubting Thomas, poor guy. You know, he wasn't there when Jesus met the disciples. And eight days later, Jesus made him sweat a little bit. He's, he's with the disciples again. And the disciples originally had said, Thomas, we have met the risen Savior. And Thomas is like, you're crazy. Like, come on. People don't come back from the dead. It's over. Give it up. It was a good three years. Let's move on. And Jesus meets Thomas eight days later. And Thomas is obviously shocked. And Jesus actually invites him, not with judgment. He invites him. He says, Thomas, come here. Put your hands in my holes in my side. And he does. And he says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says something that is so powerful because he's speaking about us. He says this. You who believe, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You you may be here tonight and you may be Thomas, right? You're like, I got a lot of doubts, a lot of doubts, and they're not answered. You may be like Mary, which is Jesus is talking to you and speaking to you, but you don't recognize it. It's like something else. You're, You're calling it another name, calling that voice something different. Or you may be like the disciples, which is, you have like uh, that belief, that faith, and you've been coming and you consider yourself a Christian, but you're hiding behind a locked door because you're just trying to save your skin. You're afraid of putting the painting on the wall and then rearranging the other paintings around it. See, all of us are one of these characters, or maybe all of them a little bit. We've all been through that and we've been on the journey, and Jesus says the same thing to every single one of us in the room. And it is so full of grace and love. He says this, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. There's great evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. There is great evidence for the life change that can happen through faith in Jesus. But the peace of Jesus is not found in evidence. It's not found in observing other people. The peace of Jesus is found when you hear him saying your name and you respond in faith. And when you respond in faith, it changes everything. And my prayer for all of us in the room is if that's you, if you hear him saying your name, that you would respond in faith and trust and a conviction in things not seen and an assurance of hope that would be welling up in your heart. And if you have responded in faith and you've been hiding behind a locked door because you've been afraid to take down the paintings and put up the most valuable painting and then rearrange your life around that, that you begin to ask, what does it look like for me to begin to be a peacemaker, to live out all of these blessings that we've been talking about for seven weeks? Because faith changes things. Will you pray with me?